Farming is very much a family business. On today's Rural Perspectives podcast, we're going to be learning about one family's journey from the city to now one of the top Angus herds that's out there. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Adam Albrick, and today we're welcoming Don Schiefelbein of Schiefelbein Farms, but he also serves as the Vice President of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Welcome to the podcast, Don. Hey, I'm glad to be part of it. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Now, your family farm has quite the story, if I must say so myself, and I'd like to really begin our conversation at the very beginning. Now, your parents didn't necessarily grow up on a farm. They lived in a city. What made them want to get into farming and ranching? Well, Dad was familiar with Kimball, Minnesota, which is uh, where our operation is, because my grandfather, Dad's dad, had a lake home on Lake Betsy right here in Kimball. So Dad would come out here on the weekends and kind of go with his dad fishing. Then after a while, he said, you know, this fishing gets boring after a while. And so he got to be friends with some of the neighbors and did jobs helping them farm. And he said, given the opportunity in Kimball, Minnesota and a rural atmosphere, I want to go back to Minneapolis-St. Paul. Now, you have several siblings. You are certainly not an only child. And it's my understanding that each of you and your brothers went to different universities. Could you just explain the thought behind that? Yeah, well, you know, Dad's, uh, Dad's been very innovative in some of his thoughts and ideas. And what he believes, and we still carry it on today, is that for you to grab all the knowledge you can, the bigger breadth of knowledge that you spread out among varying places and people, the, the better you are going to be adapt to make good decisions. So what he did is he looked across all the agricultural universities across the United States and said, wouldn't it be wise if I put one of my sons in all these varying places, they would develop a network of people and contacts in that area. And lo and behold, maybe some of the knowledge from all those people in those various areas and universities could flow back home to Kimball to help us be a more successful operation. Now, when I I mentioned that Don here has a few siblings, we're talking eight brothers, so just for the record. But now you're a Texas A&M grad, which is home to the well-respected TPAP program. Does that give you a little bit more bragging rights than your brothers? Well, I tell you what, you never want to bring up your school in in the family discussions because it gets pretty critical, pretty intense fairly quickly. Now, with all kidding aside, uh, what does it mean to you to be able to come into work every single day and basically see your whole family? Well, you know, you're given choices in life, and some people have a bigger breadth of choices than others. You know, I wasn't always here, so I was 12 years away from home. And I can tell you, once my children were born, and actually my oldest daughter hit kindergarten, there was a focus like you would not believe to bring them back home and bring them in this atmosphere where you can raise the kids among cousins and friends and just the whole rural atmosphere, I think, in a family atmosphere is, is something that uh, we are very proud of and I guess we do not take for granted because given uh, what we've been able to do with this family operation, very few in the world get that opportunity. And yeah, that's a perfect segue into just expanding upon that. One aspect that I think some family farms struggle with is that there isn't quite enough space to incorporate the next generation, maybe right after they finish school. You guys have seemed to make it work and really thrive with it. There are your parents, of course. There's eight boys and three grandkids that currently help operate your farm. How do you make room for everyone? Actually, there's five grandkids, so... 
We've, uh, over the last few years, two more have come back. So there are five uh, grandchildren. And we, we have a little different philosophy than some. Typically, when somebody talks about agriculture passing on to the next generation, it's dad saying to either a son or a daughter, you come back and uh, take my place. Well, whenever that occurs, by definition, when an additional person comes back, if there isn't room created, everybody has to live at a little poorer basis because there's less money to spread among more people, right? And so one of the requirements that we have as an operation is before anyone can come back, they have to present to the group how they intend to grow the pie, not subdivide the pie. So our whole idea is if we're going to continue to be successful and largely family operations usually argue about money and power, but if you want to take money as one of those criterions out of the equation, one of the requirements we say is how can you grow this pie? How can you allow for more dollars to flow into the operation through some innovative ideas or thoughts that you've got from being away? And, and so if we could, uh, could we just walk through kind of how your current family farming operation is set up and some of the different roles that people play? Yeah, so uh, one of the other things, remember I said there's two things that cause family farms usually to get in trouble. One is financial and the other is power, right? So the way our farm is created is everybody kind of has a, is a king of some domain. So we have, uh, if you will, the brothers and some of the grandchildren that come back, each one of them, when they carve out how they're going to grow the pie, that in essence becomes their new kingdom, right? So now that is their area of expertise. That's the area that they can kind of uh, guide our operation through. So the way our operation works is even though the group is the power base, so the group decides what we're going to do and how we're going to spend their money, each individual's kingdom presents an idea within their area how they think we should proceed. So it's kind of a, a spreading out of power, if you will, that allows people to really express innovative ideas in their own area that allows, the, that allows our family collectively to garner the success of all these little mini operations, if you will, working together. And of course, you guys, you're, you're primarily, your, your big focus has been a registered Angus herd, but you also have Sim Angus. Could you just want to talk about how you have kind of built that program from where it started to versus where it is now? Yeah, you know, and of course, that's uh, a couple of the brothers, our brother and a nephew share that kingdom, and that's growing the seed stock business. The seed stock business is really where we got started. That's what really brought dad into it, the whole idea of improving genetics, etc. And I'm telling you, I, for those who haven't studied the beef cattle world in a while, the competition in the beef cattle world has really become very competitive, as well as the technologies you have to employ to be successful really are at a cutting edge level that most people would just be shocked at. So we, we, we concentrate on two breeds, and we concentrate on two breeds because it allows us to pass on hybrid vigor or that extra boost you get when you cross different genetics into a single animal that allows our customers to have greater success. The other thing we do, Adam, is it, it allows us to really uh, look at some varying technologies. And for example, 
we will DNA test every single animal on the farm. So before an animal reaches its first birthday, we will do a DNA test on it and we'll receive back literally 100,000 pieces of genetic information about that animal. We'll compile those 100,000 pieces of information into approximately 25 key areas of production that our customers need to improve to be successful. And then we'll make mating decisions that allow us to make as rapid an improvement on those 25 key areas as we can moving from one generation to another. So the technology really has allowed us to make genetic progress like uh, never before. And then there's the other aspect of your program, which is the buyback program. And of course, I'm assuming a different family member handles that, correct? Yeah, and that would be, uh, so Brother Tim kind of manages, if you will, the buy, sell, risk management portion of that uh, operation. My brother Frank manages the day-to-day management. How do I make sure these animals uh, are fed correctly, implanted correctly and are managed correctly day to day. So that one plays key. And, and if you think about the logic and the synergy between those two entities, imagine you're creating these valuable genetics, right? These genetics were working out so hard to make sure that they're doing things extremely well, not only for the rancher at his home place, but a key bunch of the components that we look at is how do those genetics play towards consumer satisfaction so how well or what how well do they satisfy consumer needs so from our buyback standpoint what it allows us to do is when we create these genetics we sell them to the commercial cattle producers they then create more the next generation if you will a multiplying effect and then we then in turn go back and buy those second generation genetics back from our customer, bring them into our operation with a full understanding of how they will perform and we manage them to those expectations and then we sell them individually on a value added grid that allows us to reap the rewards for those genetics that we've created two years earlier, if you will, in terms of what they can do from a consumer satisfaction standpoint. And of course, your genetics aren't just local. They're not just regional. They're not just even in this state. I mean, they are literally all over the world. How crazy of a concept is that to think that your parents started out moving from the city to establishing this farming operation that's gotten to the point where your product is all over the world? Yeah, I mean, that's very humbling. And I can tell you when dad began this uh this process with mom in 1955 i'm not sure they realized what would all become of it and the extension that this would take place but it's very humbling and uh just enjoyable to watch dad and mom you know right now in their role they kind of oversee everything and maybe just give that guiding light and looking at everything and saying boy everything looks like it's going well or hey have you looked over there and maybe that needs a little uh, adjustment or improvement but just watching them travel around in the pickup trucks, watching their extended family now carry on what they started in 1955 is uh, very enviable for me. I, I'm sure there's smiles across their faces and they truly enjoy watching their family at work doing what they started a long time ago. 
And that's ultimately the testament of a lot of family farms out there is passing on that legacy, continuing it and expanding upon it. But of course, your genetics and and your animals, they go over all over the world. They go through a sale. And I do have to I do have to uh, just give a little bit of appreciation. I don't know who in your operation does the naming of all of your different animals, but it's actually pretty clever. I see uh, somebody, one animal was named TikTok. We have uh, one animal named Endgame, so we got some Avengers in there. Clearly, there's somebody in here who, who's paying attention to pop culture. Yeah, and, and, and that, that's Brother Danny, and he's, he's real clever from that aspect, and uh, he enjoys uh, putting clever names with certain animals, and you know that all adds into this whole marketing piece because... One sense you create the genetics, but it's equally important that once the genetics are created, that you market them, market those genetics to their full value. And of course, that's a team approach with him doing some of those aspects. We have somebody who coordinates our advertising promotion efforts to get full value out of those genetics. One thing that's kind of out there, farming in general, according to USDA statistics, roughly 96% of farms within the U.S. are deemed family farms. However, I think there's a perception out there among non-farming Americans that our food primarily comes from factory farms. Now, farms, of course, have been getting bigger, but they're still remaining in the family. Could you just talk about that concept, at least from, from your view, both as a as somebody who belongs to a family farm, but also your position among different uh, commodity groups. Yeah, and of course that that becomes uh, one of the key things that one has to do is how do you remain efficient, so large enough, efficient enough, yet uh, there nothing can replicate the, what energies you put in when you own something in a family farm. So from our aspect, uh, you know, given our size of our farm, yeah, we may have some significant size, but uh, surprising to almost everyone is we don't hire anybody other than family members so everybody who is not only an owner but a worker on our farm shares the last same last name so we are definitely a family operation and i think you know to me if you look at the power and the efficiency of what you're able to do especially in agriculture this idea of tapping into uh, family operations who are willing to put in hours that others would not be able to really defines why American agriculture is more successful than others. It's that family farm component where if it happens to be one o'clock at night and a heifer is calving, you know, the, one of the family members is going to be there to make sure everything happens okay. And it's that kind of dedication to making sure all these successes, whether it's an animal success or putting in the crops late at night or harvesting the crops or whatever that uh, next item that needs to be done needs to occur, there's nothing that replaces the dedication from a family operation who knows if, if they work hard and do things right, that merits go back fruitfully to uh, be used on their own family. So I, to me, it's just a unique design of an operation that really allows us to compete, not just in the United States, but nationally, where others just, as these tours come through, you would be absolutely shocked at how many people look at our operation and say, now, you'll actually do some of the work? And we go, yeah, well, all of us do the work. And they're just shocked because they aren't used to family farms engaging and making sure tasks get completed themselves. 
Well, obviously, there's a, a few more grandkids out there. Are there any thoughts of continuing to expand the operation? Again, provided somebody comes back with an idea of growing the pie, you know, we're looking at opportunities every single day. And I think, you know, from my standpoint, the reason I do what I do is so that my, my children can come back and be part of this operation as well. And there probably isn't a week that goes by that I haven't engaged in a conversation with one of my daughters in this case on what they might be able to do to create added value, to create a place back here at the farm that allows the pie to grow bigger for them to raise their children here on the farm and for us just to continue to keep growing this pie in a really fruitful manner. What message would you have to those who are not in farming who may hold that perception that uh, family farming is, is getting less and our food is coming from just, you know, the, the corporate or corporate-owned farms? Yeah, it's just, it's just not so. You know, if you, all one has to do is drive through central Minnesota or the Dakotas or South Dakota or Wisconsin and just see what is taking shape and you'll see it's these collection of hard-working family farms that are working hours that most people would be shocked by to make sure that we have a safe wholesome affordable product for the consumer so you know there are there's a group of people who try to frame us in that manner that we're these factory farmers but all you have to do is talk to some of these guys who are producing this food and realize every perception that these companies that are trying to put us out of business or trying to put into the heads of consumers simply aren't true. If you look at uh, our family as an example, and, uh, and we're just reflective of the whole industry, nothing is more important to us other than the family than our land. And if you look at what we will do to ensure that our land is taken care of and protected and environmentally managed properly, I mean, it is the well-being that allows us to be successful in how we treat that land. Secondly, the next step is those animals that are on the land become the next important resource that we say, boy, we got to manage those to the level that allows them to perform at the highest degree possible. And to do that, you take care of your animals, you feed them properly. And as I say, many tours that come through here, if you look at the what we do in terms of how we appreciate taking care of the animals and feeding the animals, the diets and all that we go through, there is no comparison that we as a group of producers probably do more for management and taking care of our animals than some do even in uh, public schools in terms of the products they feed their children. So we're, we're very confident that we're doing the things necessary to make sure that our success is long-term. Now, obviously, I'm looking at, uh, I guess, agriculture in more of a bigger picture. This year has been, well, pretty unpredictable. Um, you know, we, with the rise of COVID-19 and everything that that has shown for both uh, the, the ranchers and also the processor, where do you think we are right now as an industry, and where do you think we're heading? Well, you know, we, we're in a very good spot. Who would have guessed that in uh, March and April, during the peak of this terrible COVID crisis that we've been facing, that the beef industry would lose 50% of its ability to move our product to the consumer. 
So basically one half of our sector basically disappeared, right? The restaurant sector almost disappeared and fully 50% of all our beef moves through that restaurant phase. Who would have guessed that today, given what we went through, that our market would somehow rebound back and get back to a spot that allows us to be killing at the capacities we are, which is full born ahead, and allows this positioning to really look very favorably for the coming year. So we're in actually a very good position through it all, and I think that's what's really remarkable. Through all of this crisis, if you look at what occurred through the demand of beef, it was nothing short of phenomenal. You know, and that's why you hear some of these run-ups of the grocery stores couldn't keep pace. Really, this wonderful product called beef was in demand at such levels that uh, stocking those shelves was a full-time job making sure our consumers were able to get our product. And of course, you guys don't do any type of direct-to-consumer beef at all at this point, do you? Just a little bit. So we will do some locker beef through a, a local small family packer called French Lake Butchers here, just uh, five miles from the farm. So we'll do some, but you know, when you look at the numbers of animals we're, we're pushing through the system, it's just a fraction of uh, the total group. But again, you know, the way we look at it, because we are paid individually on every single animal, we know that each one of those animals that we create better satisfy whomever that consumer is who's willing to pay for our product. Looking and reflecting upon on where you guys have started to where you are now, what advice would you have to other family farming operations who might be looking to do something different or make a change or, or maybe it's a, a failure you guys have had along the way that you think somebody else should learn from? Well, I think the, the biggest thing is to just give people the hope that, uh, gosh, you know, you look at an operation of our size and you say, well, how can I ever compete? Remember, go back to 1955 when dad began the operation with his 15 animals that he purchased from one individual producer. I can tell you there at that time when he embarked on this whole seed stock operation, the idea that he was going to be successful by the neighboring group was not in, entirely in full agreement. In fact, most of them thought old Frank was crazy trying to do what he was doing. So I say, as long as you put together a plan, don't worry about the size, but worrying about crossing the T's, dotting the I's, making sure you do things from an efficient, effective standpoint. I have a tremendous, I believe there's tremendous opportunity for people of any size to really have success in our industry. Thank you very much for that, Don. Is there anything else that you would like to say to our audience before we wrap up here? Other than just a, just a huge appreciation for all the agricultural companies that support family farms like us, whether it's the John Deere dealership or the International dealership or the Feed dealership, you know, it's just amazing to me, or in this case, ag country, a lending industry, that they're all supporting us. And it's so important that from a common message standpoint, what we sometimes lose is that if you look at production agriculture right now, we are a mere 2% of the population. And so for us to be successful, we have to make sure that our message is getting into those government places, those inner cities. And it really is a collection of a lot of voices, whether it's 
farm families like ourselves or ag industries or ag uh, lending institutions all sharing all these good things that uh, our agricultural community is about and making sure they understand that uh, for us to have a bright future in America it all starts with everybody having a full belly and making sure our agricultural community is successful long term. Well, I think that's a great takeaway and a great call to action. Everybody has a story to share, so share it. Exactly. Well, Don, uh, I just want to thank you very much for spending some time today. If people are more interested in finding out about you and your operation, where can they go to do so? The best way probably is website, which is www.shefobinefarms.com, or we are on Facebook as well. So we got... Uh, those kind of aspects. We're in the social media aspects, trying to get our message out as well. Well, perfect. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. That is Don Schiefelbein of Schiefelbein Farms. That's a wrap for this episode of the Rural Perspectives podcast, which is a production of Ag Country Farm Credit Services. To get more great content, please visit www.agcountry.com. <laughs>